This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Nice to see you. I've never done this before. I feel a bit nervous. I kind of am used to having a guitar in front of me. I think I'd feel much more comfortable. Yeah, I'm, te- I'm tempted to preach with a guitar in front of me, but <laughs> I'm just going to pray for myself to start. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Holy Spirit, help. Um, <laughs> yeah, Father, I just pray that uh, you would speak through me now, that you'd you'd speak to our hearts. That you would, uh, yeah, you would just really tell us what you want to tell us. Amen. Amen. Um, so I thought I'd start by asking you the question: Have you have you ever asked yourself this question? What on earth am I doing with my life? I think maybe I asked that question more than most people, uh, but I'm sure all of us, well, at some point in our lives, have asked, "What am I, What on earth am I doing? How has it come to this?" <laughs> um, so I mean, I remember being in Hong Kong. Um, I was I was there helping uh, helping drug addicts to be set free from addiction. It seemed very purposeful. Seemed like I was helping to advance the kingdom of God. Um, but I remember I remember one evening I was doing something called night duty. So we we would take it in shifts, four hour shifts to to pray for these guys who were withdrawing from heroin. And uh, and some of us have you know sometimes we get the night shift. So I was I was on this shift. It was two thirty a.m. till uh, seven a.m. Just praying. <laughs> Praying, a few of us were praying for a few people withdrawing uh, from drugs, and uh, and you know, I'm very groggy. My mind's not really all there, and I'm I'm praying for this guy, and this guy's helping me pray, and, and we're both sitting there, and this guy sitting next to me. Let's call him Freddie. It's not his name, but um, and Freddie's about 18, 19, Chinese guy, uh, and he's annoying me a little bit because we're both meant to be staying awake to help pray for this guy, uh, and Freddie keeps falling asleep, so I keep you know. Yeah, nudging him, nudging him awake, and then he keeps getting up, going to the toilet, and then he's going to get, get himself some noodles. And I'm like, you know, Freddie, we just stay here. We need to pray for this guy. And then Freddie, he, uh, he goes out of the room to go to the toilet or something. I don't know what he's doing. And he comes in, comes back in, and just pokes his head through the door. And he's like, Mimi. And he's just like coughing, just Mimi, hoot, hoot. And I'm like, I knew it's, it's, it's three in the morning. And he starts talking in Chinese. I don't really understand what he's saying. But I just heard Mimi, who's, that's the cat, the cat's name. And hoot means blood. And I'm thinking, what on earth? What on earth is he going on about? And, uh, so, and then he just, he just beckons me. I don't understand. And then I, I, I open the door. And there on the sofa is Mimi, who's a 19-year-old cat, really on her last legs, just like coughing blood all over the sofa. And I'm thinking, oh, dear. And, uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, and, then, and then Freddie says something to me in Chinese. I don't wholly understand, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to sort this. I'm like, OK, Freddie, you sort that. I'll carry on praying for this guy withdrawing from heroin. And I sit down, and Freddie's out there a while. And two minutes later, he, uh, he, he opens the door again. And, uh, and, and for context, we had this, this old, old man who was you know, getting a bit confused, and he would sleep. Um, downstairs so that we could keep an eye on him uh, when we were praying for the guys who were withdrawing. Um, and let's call him Bob, also not his real name. But, um, <laughs> but, but Freddie comes in and he's like, Bob, Bob's done a wee. Uh, <laughs> and my first thought is, what's wrong with that? Bob's allowed to go to the toilet if he wants to. <laughs> and, then, and then Freddie says, Juvon, which means kitchen. And, uh, and so you see, the problem was we on the one side we had on the one side of the room we had the kitchen here, and then the other end, you know, the, the toilet here. And, and sometimes Bob would get confused, and obviously on this engagement he got confused. And instead of turning left, instead of turning right into the toilet, he'd turn left into the kitchen. Just peed into the kitchen, 
And so, <laughs> so I come out, and there's blood still on the sofa. I don't know what Freddie's been doing. And, <laughs> and, there's, and there's pee all over the kitchen floor. And Freddie is talking to me in Chinese, and it's, it's now like 4 a.m., and I don't really understand what he's saying at the best of times. And I'm like, Freddie, you just, you just go pray for, the, pray for the guy withdrawing from heroin. I'm going to go get the mop, and I'll, I'll deal with it. Don't worry. And then, um, and then you know, I go outside, get the mop, bring it in. I'm just mopping up pee, and there's blood still everywhere. And Freddie keeps popping his head out to see how I'm doing. I'm like, Freddie, get back in the room and pray for that guy. Um, and I'm just thinking, what on earth am I doing with my life? <laughs> Um, how has it come to this? Uh, and I'm thinking, how, how is this advancing the kingdom of God? You know, how, is there any purpose in this? Uh, and the, the tenuous link to my talk is that I think I, I was, in some way, advancing the kingdom of God through that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I want to ask you the question, what, what is the kingdom of God? Do you think that's something that's relevant to your life? You know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have heard that phrase over and over again, but... What does it really mean? Does it seem something distant? Is it something you think of about when we die, do we go to the kingdom of heaven? What do you think about when you think of the word kingdom? Do you think of the United Kingdom? you think of a land or a nation? Or an empire like the Roman Empire? Do you think of a king like Caesar? Conquering lands, imposing his will on people, forcing them to submit, building a bigger kingdom? You know, in the, in the news, we see so many conflicts, so much violence, people trying to extend their own kingdoms, people using force to conquer lands, to impose their rule and reign on, on others. If you think about, you know, colonialism, Christianity, in the minds of many people, is linked to, to empire, because empires like the British Empire would go and conquer other lands and impose our will, our, our rule and reign on others, and we'd say, well, we're, we're bringing the kingdom of God. The king is the head of the Church of England still. In fact, in most conflicts through history, I'd say that people have claimed to have God on their side in some way. If I, there's a quote here from, from Pope Urban II calling people to go on the first crusade, and he said, when an armed attack is made upon the enemy, let this one cry be raised by all the soldiers of God. It is the will of God. It is the will of God. And he said, accordingly, undertake this journey for the remission of your sins with the assurance of the imperishable glory of the kingdom of heaven. So the Pope is saying, if you go on this, on this crusade, you're not only doing the will of God, but it will mean the remission of your sins and the glory of the kingdom of heaven. I'm not sure he's right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in a totally different way, you know, we see in our, own, in our own land, we see our politicians that slandering each other, lying. They're trying desperately to win political power, build their own political kingdom. We see in the business world, people trying to use their money to claim power, use their power to get more money, building business empires. People using the media, social media, to influence others. Even in the church, we see people trying to build their own Christian empires. We hear news of people using manipulation, coercion to get their way trying to build little kingdoms, claiming that they're building the kingdom of God. But what does Jesus' kingdom look like? <laughs> what does the kingdom of God look like? Does it look like that? Well, if we go to John 18, verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. 
but if not by force, if it's not by fighting, how is God's kingdom established? What does it look like for God's kingdom to come amongst all these other kingdoms, amongst nations and individuals trying to advance their own kingdoms using force, violence, manipulation? What does it look like for God's kingdom to come in the midst of that? And what does it look like for us to participate in it? The, uh, the, the Vineyard UK strapline, which might come up. Oh, yeah. Extending God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't think it means going to Downing Street, storming Downing Street, putting a flag in there, saying, claiming it for Jesus in the vineyard. Um, maybe. <laughs> um, so to, but what is the kingdom of God? Let's look at what Jesus said about the kingdom of God, and then we can understand what he means. So if we turn to Mark 1, Mark 1, verse 14 to 15. So in Mark 1, verse 14, it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'll read that again. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, this talk is, uh, is part of a series called What's the Gospel Mean to Me? Other people in this series have already said uh, the gospel simply means good news. And, and repent here, uh, people have talked about that word. I think it, here in this context, it just means Jesus saying to people to let go of their previous ways of thinking, their previous ways of living and doing, and instead embrace the good news that Jesus is announcing. So Jesus here is saying that the kingdom is at hand. In, in other translations, it might say, has drawn near. In some translations, it, say, it says the kingdom has come. So Jesus is saying that the good news The good news is that the time for the kingdom to draw near has come. The kingdom is drawn near. Therefore, let go of everything inhibiting you from fully believing and embracing this good news. But in order to understand what he means by that phrase, the kingdom of God, we might first need to understand what the people hearing him would have understood. What did the Jews understand when they heard him say, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is drawn near? I'm going to get some water. Um, so, very briefly, I don't have much time, <laughs> 10 minutes. Okay, um, the, the Old Testament tells the story of the Israelites so far, and it also has books of prophecy that point forward to a continuation of that story. So the heroes of the story so far were people like King David, King Solomon. David was a great military king. Solomon uh, was vastly wealthy. The nations of the earth, uh, people came to pay tribute to him and to marvel at his wealth. This was the high point in Israelite history. Uh, you know, their kingdom was then destroyed. They ended up uh, in exile in Babylon in a different land. The temple was destroyed. All their wealth was taken. Now, at this point in, in, the, in the book of Mark, uh, the Israelites have returned to the land of Israel. But those prophecies about a coming kingdom, a coming Messiah who would restore the kingdom to them, those prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. So they're still waiting. The prophets had said that a new king would come, that he would establish the kingdom of God. And they envisioned that this king would be like David, would be like Solomon, but only better. They they envisioned great military might, great wealth, influence among the nations. Here at this point, 
in Mark, they're under oppression. They're being ruled by the Romans. They imagine that this Messiah is going to come. He's going to free them from the Romans. He's going to restore uh, the victory to Israel. This is what the, the first century Jewish people are hearing when they hear the phrase, the kingdom of God. They're envisioning a kingdom like that of David's, but only better. So when they hear Jesus say, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, they're hearing Jesus say, this is what you've been waiting for. For hundreds of years, the kingdom you've been waiting for is here now. And they weren't totally wrong. What they were wrong is in their understanding of what that kingdom would look like. Because they're hearing, I'm going to establish a kingdom like David's. Jesus is going to establish an entirely different kingdom. So how do we understand what the kingdom is? Through all that Jesus says and through all that Jesus does. You see, Jesus announces the kingdom here in Mark 1, and then in the rest of Mark 1, he demonstrates it. Jesus is going to show them that he's not come to overthrow the Romans, but the kingdom of darkness itself. Now, there's a verse in the Ephesians that helps us understand what Jesus is about to do. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And that's what Jesus is doing, and he's going to show us. If we go just to Mark 1, uh, verse 23, it says, And there was, immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. He cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus is showing not only that he has power and authority, uh, that therefore the words he's speaking are truth, he's also showing his intent. He's showing his will. He's showing that he has come to destroy the works of the enemy. When the unclean spirit asks him, have you come to destroy us? Well, the answer is yes. Jesus has come to destroy every work of the enemy. If you think about the word kingdom, kingdom means the domain of the king, kingdom. The, the, the domain, the, the place where the king rules and reigns, where things come under the jurisdiction of the king, where his will is done, that's the kingdom, where the will of the king is done. Uh, this week I heard someone put it really succinctly, um, a guy called Andy, he said, the kingdom of God is where what God wants happens. It's where God's will is done. Therefore, when Jesus comes into contact with demons, with the enemy, they can't remain. For as the kingdom of God is established, the domain of darkness is destroyed. As light comes into the room, the darkness has to go. If we go on to the next story in this chapter, we see Jesus begins healing people. In verse 30, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. It's not God's will that people should be sick. It's not God's will that people should be oppressed by demons. 
Therefore, when God's kingdom comes, the demons have to go, the sickness has to go, the pain and suffering has to be healed. Because God's kingdom is coming, all things that aren't of God's kingdom are destroyed. Now, many people in the Western world, the Western church, have reduced the gospel, the good news, to being about the salvation of people's souls. And you might have heard the story again and again that uh, Jesus came to save us so that we can go to heaven when we die, that we might enter the kingdom of God when we die. But Jesus is showing that the kingdom of God is not somewhere we go where we die, but the kingdom of God is coming in him on the earth here and now. We imagine heaven is some perfect place where there's no, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no sickness. And that's true. But we don't have to wait to see it. The good news Jesus is announcing is that it's coming now in him. Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom is coming, and this is what the kingdom is like. If we think about the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we're joining in with the mission of Jesus. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We're praying that heaven would come to earth, that there would be no sickness, no pain, no death, evil, suffering, oppression, injustice. We're praying that to come to earth in the here and now. We don't have to grit our teeth and wait to go to heaven when we die to see these things. This was Jesus' mission on earth. This was how he fulfilled those prophecies about a coming kingdom, a coming king. This is what he was establishing. I just want to read one final story in this chapter. Um, if we go to verse 40, came to him, implored, said to him, if you will, you can, if you will, you can make me, will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now this time it's, a, it's another healing we see, but, but it's a bit different because leprosy meant not just that you were physically sick, but that you were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, uh, which meant they could, these people couldn't go to the temple and worship but, um, in Jewish society. That's, that's where they would encounter the presence of God in the temple, and, and lepers weren't allowed to be part of that. They weren't allowed to participate in Jewish society. They were physically outcasts not living with the rest of the community, and people feared them. People rejected them. They feared that if they touched them, they themselves would become unclean, and they wouldn't be allowed in the temple unless they had ceremonially washed. They feared that they might be infected. I think we can tell from the, the way this man asked for help that he was used to rejection. He says, if you will, in other translations, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I think he was half expecting that Jesus wouldn't be willing. But we see Jesus demonstrate the kingdom, not only that he heals his physical sickness, but that he reaches out and touches him. In verse 41, stretched out his hand and touched him. This man was untouchable. This man uh, shouldn't have been touched because if you were to touch this man, you would be made unclean. But Jesus reverses that. Jesus' kingdom reverses that, that he would reach out and touch the untouchable. And that instead of Jesus being made unclean, this man is made clean. He's restored. It's not just his physical health that's restored. His dignity is restored. He's now allowed to go to the temple. He's now allowed to participate in Jewish society. His, his relationship to God, to other people is restored. He's reconciled. 
Jesus demonstrating that this is the kingdom too. The outcast is welcomed in. It's not just about physical health, it's, it's the whole. So much when we talk about salvation, people being saved, we talk about the soul, but this man was saved in every way. His body is healed, his relationship with God and society. The Greek word to save, uh, sozo, means to save, deliver, protect, heal, preserve, to save, to make whole. Jesus saves the whole person. We hear savior of the world and we think of Jesus saving people's souls. But he came to be the savior of the world in every way, to establish a kingdom in which people are made whole, in which everything is made new. Now you may be thinking, uh, this was 2,000 years ago. If Jesus started to establish the kingdom 2,000 years ago, why do we still have pain and suffering and sickness? I mean, leprosy still exists. And that would be a good question if you're asking it. Well, if we look very briefly at Luke 9, verse 1, if I can find it, here we go. It says, He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Might sound familiar. You see, Jesus is sending his disciples out to do the same thing that he's been doing to demonstrate the kingdom of God and to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus is saying that the kingdom that I've been establishing, now it's your turn, now it's for you to advance as my disciples. You see, when when Jesus died and rose again and he ascended into heaven, the kingdom of God had begun to be established, but it had yet to be fully established on the earth. People still died, there was still sickness. And then when the disciples, when they died, Most of them were martyred. They saw the kingdom break in in miraculous ways, but when they died, there was still pain, still sickness, still death. So now it's our turn. We partner by God. We partner with God by his spirit to advance the kingdom, just like Jesus did, just like the disciples did. We live in the tension of the now and the not yet. In technical terms, that's the time between the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation of the kingdom. We see the kingdom break in in miraculous ways. We see people miraculously healed and delivered. We see pain and sickness and death destroyed. But we also live in the tension of still seeing those things in our world. Seeing people not healed, seeing people not set free. You know, when I was in Hong Kong, I saw so many... I saw so many people set free. Miraculously, I saw so many people not set free that they would be stuck in cycles of addiction. It's the now and the not yet that we see some of the kingdom now and some of the kingdom is not yet. We live in that tension. But we have something to look forward to. And the the vision we look forward to is, is in Revelation 21 verse 4. It says, "He He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is what we're waiting for. Waiting for Jesus to return and wipe away every tear from our eyes. We wait expectantly, but we're not waiting passively. We're actively participating in the coming of the kingdom as we draw closer to that day when Jesus returns and wipes away every tear. 
What does that look like practically, though, in 21st century Bristol? I mean, it could seem a little far removed from Jesus and the apostles. We don't tend to travel from town to town, casting out demons and healing people. Um, we could try if we wanted to. Um, but a lot of us have normal jobs, uh, normal lives, bills to pay, responsibilities. That's why I love um, the vineyard strapline. We are to extend God's kingdom together everywhere in every way. We are together in this. We're all extending God's kingdom in different ways, reaching different people, doing things that no one else could do. As we see in Jesus, it looks like saving the whole person. It's not just people's souls that are being saved. It's their bodies, it's their minds, it's their hearts as well. God is making all things new. Whenever people receive healing or deliverance in the heart, soul, mind, or body, the kingdom is... Whenever, whenever people receive healing or deliverance in their heart, soul, mind, or body, the kingdom is advancing. Wherever justice triumphs over injustice, where good triumphs over evil, from a small act of kindness to great societal change, the kingdom of God is advancing. When the poor are welcomed in, when refugees or foreigners are welcomed in, the kingdom of God is advancing. When people are delivered from addiction, when the hungry are fed, when the lonely are befriended, the kingdom of God is advancing. You see, the kingdom of God is broader and deeper than we can imagine or comprehend. It covers everything. All things are made new. It's all-encompassing, and Jesus is calling us to be part of it. I just want to finish by reading Isaiah 61. Um, maybe Carl could get that. Um, if I can find it. So this is, this is a passage about the kingdom of God. It's a prophecy in the Old Testament about what the kingdom would look like. Actually, Jesus quotes it in, in the Gospel of Luke. And as I, as I read it, I just want you to think and reflect. How is God stirring you to advance the kingdom of God in your life? What does it look like for you? Just ask the Holy Spirit what, what he's stirring in you. What does it look like in your context? And uh, you, you might feel totally inadequate. You might feel overwhelmed, weak and powerless. But, but the good thing is it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon you. So I'll just read it. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I might just read that again. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. that you would use us, send us to advance your kingdom, stir in us that desire and, and just inspire us by your spirit as to how we can advance your kingdom in our context, in our lives.
And I think we might draw the service to a close now. But if you if you feel if you feel stirred in your spirit, I just encourage you to receive prayer. I feel something especially about that verse. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. If you feel like that that verse has touched you, that God is is sending you to bind up the brokenhearted, I really feel like uh, God wants to bless you this morning. That come and receive prayer. And if you just feel stirred in your spirit that you want to do this, that you really want to advance the kingdom of God, I just feel like God wants to fill you afresh with His Spirit this morning. So yeah, come, come, someone will pray for you at the end.